that, we'll look forward to hearing it again this evening. If your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 4, that will be our uh, starting point this morning. We'll look at a lot of scripture, so I hope you'll be ready to do so. And I know we've prayed a, a few times this morning, but I would like to pray once more before we get into the message. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you and we come into your presence this morning with thanksgiving. You've been a good God to us. You've already blessed us today with beautiful weather. You've blessed us with just some great fellowship with God's people, some wonderful singing. Lord, as we open the word of God now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, uh, this is one of those sermons that as I preach it, I, I have to practice what I'm about to preach. Lord, I'm coming to you, as Paul said, in uh, weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And Lord, uh, I pray that you would uh, just strengthen me. I pray that you give me clarity of thought. I pray, Father, that there be no distractions in my own mind. And Lord, I pray that we'd listen and that the Holy Spirit would have the freedom to speak to us, that we'd give him that privilege. And Lord, I know that if we do, he will talk. And Lord, he will change us if we let him. And I pray that you'd help us to be that kind of a church today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our text this morning comes from Peter's response to the first recorded episode of persecution against the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were walking into the temple. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. In the Jewish time frame, that was the ninth hour of the day. It was called the hour of prayer. Can I just uh, put this out there? It's an, it's an aside. It is a rabbit trail. We ought to have specific times that we have set aside to pray. It ought not be hit or miss or if I get the chance. There ought to be some times we set aside saying this is my prayer time. They went at the hour of prayer as they walked into the temple at a gate called Beautiful. Uh, King Herod had built it and beautified it for the Jewish people, hence the name. There was a lame man uh, over 40 years of age that was laid at that gate every morning and all day long he just begged people for money as they came into the temple to worship or to pray. As Peter and John walked in, he locked eyes on them. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you're guilty of this when you're driving down the highway and you come to a stop sign or a red light and there's someone standing there with the cardboard sign saying, you know, homeless veteran or whatever, anything can help, God bless you. Do you make eye contact? Or do you all of a sudden pretend like your steering wheel needs wiped off or, uh, you know, you know um, maybe you need to check the air conditioning. There's just something about the eye contact uh, that we try to avoid because in that we feel like we're avoiding any responsibility to help. This man locked eyes with Peter and John as, as they went in and expected to receive an alms from them. And typical of Baptist preachers, they said, silver and gold have I none. Um, but they said, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man got something that money could not buy. He got healed. And he stood on his feet, the Bible says, and he was walking and leaping and praising God. 
He was a well-known fixture in the temple. Everybody knew him. They had seen him there for years. And a great crowd of thousands of people amassed around uh, Peter and John. And, and Peter preached a phenomenal sermon and let them know it wasn't their power, their strength or wisdom that accomplished it. It was the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he preached the gospel to them. We know from Acts chapter 4 uh, and verse number 4 that there were 5,000 men who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of that single sermon. It says men because in the Jewish culture, men and women tended and still do tend to pray separately. So this was Jewish men, 5,000 of them believed. It's a great victory. Understand that anytime you have a victory in your life, the devil is not far behind to try to turn that victory into some level of defeat. And it happened here. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 1 uh, that the priests, the Jewish priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were one of the major factions of the Jewish hierarchy in that day. They were a group of people who claimed that they believed the Bible, but they didn't believe in angels, and they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They basically believe when you die, you're dead, and that's it. That is why they were sad, you see? That's how you always remember that one. Some of you still don't get it. Um, they came in and the Bible says, verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people in the first place and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Because they didn't believe in a resurrection, they did not like this preaching, though it was Bible preaching. And Peter backed up his points with scripture. They also didn't like this preaching because they were the ones who had had Jesus crucified. They were the ruling faction that said, let him be crucified. They consented to his death. Peter's going to point that out to them in verse number 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. Boy, did that have to cut them deeply. That was a historical fact. That was only a few months prior, uh, and everybody knew uh, the, the history of, of that event. Whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. So Peter's making his first defense because they're asking, why have you done this? Why are you speaking in this name? And eventually they're going to threaten them and say, uh, don't do it anymore. And Peter and John are not going to back down. I've said this before. We can't get the average Christian today started on soul winning. You couldn't get them stopped. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men, and we're going to keep on preaching in his name. But Peter went on with his sermon and said in verse 11, he's quoting the book of Psalms 118. He said, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. He said, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's the, he's the cornerstone upon which everything else is built. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the cornerstone. And then he said in verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now we need to take a step back this morning and understand 
exactly to whom Peter is speaking. These are the very ones who the Savior referred to them in Luke chapter 18, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. These were those that thought, we're not sinners like the Gentiles. We're not sinners like the publicans or the harlots or anything like that. We are righteous, and they trusted in themselves that they're righteous. They were offended that, that the Savior told them that they were uh, sinners in need of a Savior, that they were in darkness up until that time. That's who Peter is proclaiming neither is there salvation in, in any other. This is the group that the Apostle Paul referred to in Romans chapter 10 in verse 3 as he described his burden for his own people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. He says of them, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is absolute. There is no sin. The Bible says he is light and in him is no darkness at all. Amen. There's not even a shade of sin with almighty God. Amen. And they're ignorant of that because they think the righteousness of God is something that human beings can attain and that their righteousness equals God's. Yet the Bible says there is none righteous, talking humanly, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. These are the people that Peter is preaching to when he said, neither is there salvation in any other. In other words, he is saying to these people, you despised Jesus of Nazareth. You ordered him crucified, but God overruled you. He didn't die because you said he should. He died because he willingly laid down his life. He died not for his sins, but for yours and for the sins of the whole world. And God raised him from the dead as proof that he has not only paid for sin, he has conquered death in the process. And he's saying, now you need to understand this. It is in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone that we have salvation. Your righteousness won't do it. Your Jewish heritage won't do it. And we need to understand that even though the Bible clearly states salvation is in Christ alone, mankind, most of mankind still believes that he doesn't, that there are other ways to heaven. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, a mediator is a go-between. He takes two parties that are against or opposed to each other and he brings them together. The Bible says there's only one. The priest doesn't bring man to God. I can't bring man to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In Christ alone, we have salvation, period. 1 John chapter 5, can you turn there in your Bibles uh, quickly this morning? 1 John, near the end of your Bible, just a few pages before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 5, John sums it up as clearly as you will find it. And this is the record, verse number 11, that God hath given to us what? Eternal life, remember that phrase. And this life is in what? 
his son. Um, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. Does it get any clearer than that? You either have Jesus Christ and have eternal life or you don't have Jesus Christ and you don't have eternal life. In Christ alone, we have salvation. Confirmation does not help us get saved. Baptism does not help us get saved. Last rites does not get you into heaven. Church membership in any church, in every church, will not get you there. Your good works won't get you there for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast Titus wrote and said but after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We are saved in Christ alone, and we must understand that. Uh, your money won't get you to heaven. Jihad will not get anyone to heaven. You can put Jesus plus anything else. It's either Christ alone or it's not at all. You understand that. It's Christ alone that gets us to heaven. Would you remember in the Gospel of John, our Savior stated seven times the words, I am. When Moses asked the Lord, said, whom shall I say has sent me? God said, I am that I am. Tell them that I am hath sent you. In John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am not a bread. I am the bread. That gives the idea the one and only. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7, I am the door. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There is the truth. And when it comes to salvation, the truth is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, which indicates to us there are a lot of false vines. I went to a church that taught a false vine. I grew up in that church, and they told me if I clung to that vine that I might just make it to heaven. And what was that vine? Be a good boy. Be a good person. Your good works will outweigh your bad works if you get to heaven, and that means you might get in. That's not what the Bible says. My good works will never be good enough. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ alone is our salvation. And I understand I'm preaching to a bunch of saved people today, but we need to have that down in our heart. And may I say this, as Brother Adam so eloquently preached two or three Sundays ago, if if we believe that salvation is in Christ alone, there's something wrong with us if we're not telling the people out there that they're clinging to a false vine, they're eating bad bread, they're, they're following the wrong light, it is Christ alone, and they must hear that because no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. Amen. In Christ alone we have salvation. Imagine this morning that Brother Rob 
has to fly back to his hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So he books a flight with Southwest Airlines and he travels up to uh, Bradley Airport and he's got his ticket purchased and he's, he's at the gate. But instead of getting onto the plane, he actually finds a way to get out on the tarmac. And he stands behind the plane and, and he's standing back there and he's in this position behind the plane. And somebody said, what on earth are you doing? He said, well, I'm waiting until takeoff, and then I'm going to help push the plane. It's going to need my help to get it going. i got to help this plane get up in the air. Not only would we think that you're an idiot, how many think he's going to get to Wisconsin? And I see the plane doesn't need your help. It's got these jet engines, and you're a big guy, and you're a strong guy, but they will blow you away. That's how foolish it is for me to think that what Jesus did on the cross isn't sufficient payment for my sin, that he needs my help. I got to be good so I can help Jesus save me, or I need Mary to help Jesus save me, or I need to get dunked in the water to help Jesus. No, it's Christ and Christ alone. I got saved not because I became a Baptist or got baptized or turned over a new leaf. I got saved because I heard that Jesus died on the cross according to the the scriptures that he was buried and three days later again he was raised again from the dead according to the scriptures and that was the only payment God would accept and that if I would call upon Christ and I would ask him to save my lost soul he would do so and I called upon the name of the Lord with the promise whosoever does so shall be saved and I'm going to heaven because of Christ and Christ alone and by the way if you're going to heaven that's how you're getting there you're not going to heaven because you grew up in a Baptist church. You're not going to heaven because you went to a Christian school. You're not going to heaven because mom and dad were saved. You're going to go to heaven because you came to a place in your life where you understood that as a sinner, you were lost and without Christ, you were lost without hope. And if you didn't get saved, you would never see heaven and you called upon Christ as your savior and you got born again. But a lot of kids grew up in Baptist churches that weren't saved while they grew up. The young man that preached here last Sunday night, uh, Doug Seeley, he was on deputation on the mission field, and I preached on a Sunday morning, and I don't even remember what I preached, but when the service was over, Doug and Charity met me down here, and Doug was crying, and he's 21 years of age. He grew up in this church. His grandfather is a Baptist preacher. He has got an incredibly godly heritage, but he said, I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved, and we went into the office, and I didn't have to open my Bible and him through. I said, Doug, you know what it's all about. You understand all of this. And I was in that room. I didn't lead Doug to Christ. Jesus led Doug to Christ. I just happened to be a spectator and watch it happen. Um, he's a young man that grew up here and just took for granted because I grew up here and I know all the lingo and I know all the verses. I guess I'm good. But there was something resounding in his heart that said, you've never gotten saved and you know it. I'm not trying to make anybody doubt your salvation, but the Bible says we are are to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. The truth of the matter is, uh, I can hear a sermon that is nothing but an evangelistic get saved sermon, and it never bothers me at all because I got saved 51 years ago uh, in August of 1972, and I can remember the day and the time. I can remember the message. I can remember what God did in my heart. I didn't join the church, didn't get baptized for, for several months after, didn't know I was supposed to, uh, all that, but I knew I was saved. 
In Christ alone, Amen. we have salvation. There's something else. In Christ alone, we have security. Amen. We have security. 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us what? Eternal life. There's a doctrine out there that says you can lose your salvation. Hey, question. If I'm not good enough to get saved, how on earth can I be good enough to keep saved? God gave me eternal life. He either gave it to me or he didn't. How long is eternal? It is forever. Is that rocket science? Is there anybody here doesn't understand how long eternal is? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you know that everlasting and eternal mean exactly the same thing? That means 51 years ago as a 14-year-old, God gave to me everlasting life. If at any point in the last 51 years I did something or didn't do something and lost it, was it everlasting? Was it eternal? Eternal last for how long? Forever. Forever. Uh, and that's in Christ alone. That's in Christ alone. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We don't keep ourselves saved. I'm glad for that. I keep losing my phone. I keep losing my keys. I keep losing my wallet. Thank God I'm not trusted with my salvation. I'd never know where to find that thing. It's not in my keeping. John chapter 10, in the great I am the door and I am the good shepherd chapter. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Do you know how you're saved? You hear the voice of God. Do you know how you're saved? You follow him. You have no claim to it. If you're not following Christ, you have no claim to Christianity. But he goes on and I give unto them what? eternal life and unless anybody misunderstand that and they shall never perish the word never comes from a greek word that means never ever 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 never they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand uh, there's a guy that i've observed at at the gym where i work out and and he's a big guy he's probably your size I've never seen him deadlifting. I've never seen him bench pressing, but I see him on cable stations and stuff, and, and he's got a, a, a wrist wrap around here, and he's doing the most bizarre things with his wrist. He, he's, he's not doing things like this. He's doing things like this. And he'll be at it for like an hour and all kinds of different things and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's a big guy and, he, and, and he's, you know, big chest, big arms and all that kind of stuff. That Well, maybe he's one of those just born gigantic. I, I, I had no idea. Then one day he was working out at a station literally right next to me. And somebody came up to him and he said, I've been watching you. I didn't, I didn't have the courage to ask him what it was all about. Sometimes big guys scare me that I'm going to ask them. They're going to punch me and then move on. So uh, I, I'm wondering at the whole time, will somebody ask what I was thinking? Said, uh, I'm, I'm watching what you're doing. He said, let me guess. You arm wrestle. He said, yeah, actually, I'm a nationally ranked arm wrestler. And in arm wrestling, you know where the strength is? It's in your wrist. And he said, 
That's where, so he's strengthening that and he grabs a hold of the opponent's hand and he's got massive Rob Trelore paws and wraps it around there and he knows how exactly how to, to engage his wrist muscles and nobody's moving it. Once he's locked on you, it's over. Nationally ranked. He's good at what he does. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Do you ever play the game with your kids where you put a marble in one hand, they got to find it, but you won't open it up, that type of thing? Um, see, I can do that with every kid except Tommy. He's already almost bigger than me, that type of thing. Can I just tell you this? If you're safe in the hand of Christ, he said nobody's going to pluck you out of his hand. Amen. But he, he, he didn't stop there. He went on and said, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So here I am, safe in the hand of Christ, and then the Father's hands, if you will, wrapped around that, and no man's able to get me out of the Father's hand. Do you understand, in order for me to lose my salvation, somebody has to beat up Jesus, and then somebody has to beat up God the Father. Ain't going to happen. He is the Lord God omnipotent, all-powerful. Curtis Hudson said, I'm so saved, it's pitiful. My security is in Christ alone. Don't let anyone ever try to tell you that you can lose your salvation. It, it's, it, it's a biblical impossibility. Let's use our airplane illustration for a moment. Pretend that Brother Adam is wiser than Brother Rob. And he is not trying to push that airplane off the runway and get it up into the air. He knows that he's got to get on the plane or he's not getting to Milwaukee. But all of a sudden, as the plane takes off and the, the pilot says, uh, you, you know, the fasten your seatbelt sign's gone. By the way, did you notice that most every pilot is related to Charlie Brown's teacher? <laughs> Seatbelts. Just that was free. So Brother Adam takes off his seatbelt and stands in the middle of the aisle and starts doing this. And the confused stewardess comes up. Sir, is it time for your medication? What are you doing? Well, I, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep this plane up in the air. It needs my help. I, I, I got I to wave my arms like this or, or the plane's going to crash. And, and I need to get to Chicago. So I'm helping the plane get there. Is he helping the plane get there? No, the only thing is he is helping is to have paramedics from the psych ward waiting for him when he lands at Midway. Look, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is Bible. This is Bible. 1 Peter chapter number 1. The Bible says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. This is a living promise. This is a new life in Christ. Uh, hope means the confident expectation of good by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, next phrase church, reserved in heaven for you. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. 
One of these days, my tail on this earth is going to come to a close. One of these days, I'll breathe my last breath here and my first breath there. And I believe when I get there, I'm going to get a set of keys that said, here, this is to your new mansion. And it's going to make 29 Smith Street look like my garage. It's going to be an amazing thing. And the Bible said it is reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. But it doesn't stop there. Who are kept by your faithful attendance. Is that what it says? Who are kept by the what? Power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm not kept saved by my strength and power. I would lose it in a day. I'd lose it in a minute. I'm kept by the power of God, and he doesn't lose anything. In Christ alone, we are saved. In Christ alone, we have security. And by the way, that matter of eternal security is important because if you're not... If you're not assured of your eternal salvation, it's awful hard to grow in grace beyond that point. It's awful hard to trust God for any other part of the Christian life if you're not really trusting him for your eternal life. Amen? But there's something else that we find in Christ alone. Can I get you please to turn with me to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter 4, in Christ alone we have salvation, we have security, in Christ alone we have strength. In Christ alone we have strength. Paul says in verse number 13, read it with me, say it with me, you've probably got it memorized. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Say it again. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It does not say I can do most things. It does not say I can do the small things. It says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can stand for Christ in the face of opposition through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can stand alone, if need be, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can teach a Sunday school class through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, I, I can go forward in my Christian life even if no one else wants to go with me through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can be a soul winner through Christ which strengtheneth me. You take any other promise of the word of God, any other commandment from the word of God and plug it into uh, Philippians 4.13, you can do that not by your strength, by your willpower, by your intellect, but through Christ which strengtheneth me. David said in Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In chapter 28 of the book of Psalms, he said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. In, in the verse 8 of the same chapter, he says, the Lord is their strength and he is the saving strength of his anointed. 
You're saved. You are the anointed of God and he is your saving strength. The Lord and in Christ alone is my strength. In the book of, of uh, uh, 2 Timothy, can I get you to turn there for a moment? 2 Timothy. Paul is at the end of his life. This is believed to be the last letter of divine inspiration that he penned for us. He knows that he's about to go to heaven. He says in verse 6, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I believe Paul may have known the date of execution. Often they took place on some, spe some specific day on the Roman calendar. They would have a circus in the Roman Colosseum is what they called them. And everyone would come together and as a part of the festivities, they, they would execute various prisoners and make a spectacle. Paul seemed to have known, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. He wasn't worried about it. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've done everything God wanted me to do. I've kept the faith. He talked about that crown of righteousness laid up for him in verse number eight. But then he, he waxes sad for just a moment. Do thy diligence. Timothy's in Ephesus, a couple thousand miles away. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me. Demas was a companion from Colossae. He had served Paul. He's mentioned in the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon. But Demas is gone, having loved this present world, is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans, another one of his helpers, left and went to Galatia, maybe went back home. Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. That's John Mark. Bring him with me. For he is profitable to me for the ministry and Tychicus, which I've left, which I've sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. Bring me the scriptures. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also. For he hath greatly restored our words. Now notice verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me but all men forsook me. If you read through the writings of Paul, he had a great crowd of people that God raised up to help him. Timothy, Titus, Luke, Demas, Aristarchus, Secundus, Stephanus. There's a whole host of people, both men and women, that served with him. On his journey across the Mediterranean Sea, some of those men were with him. Luke was with him. Luke, who penned more verses of divine scripture than any other human author, was with Paul on that, that long, perilous journey. It, as Paul writes this book, he says, Luke's the only one left with me, but there came a day that even Luke didn't show up. It was the first time he stood before Nero, the emperor of the Roman Empire, the emperor of the world. He had absolute power in his hand. He was a decadent, despicable human being. He had no moral compass at all to guide him in anything that he did. And Paul had to stand there and, and give an account of why he was there, why he had appealed to Rome. And in the process, he had to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and it's time to go in. It's the big day. It's what they've all traveled all the way from, from uh, Caesarea uh, uh, over to Rome and all the journeys that are recorded in the last several chapters of the book of Acts. But on that day, as Paul is ushered out of his, his place of residence, he's been under house arrest for two years, and he's ushered over there. All of a sudden, Paul looks around, and, and, and Titus, Titus took off, and Demas is nowhere to be found. And, but, but Luke, but no, no, Luke is gone. The Luke. Because Paul said at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Wow. Have you ever been betrayed? You ever been forsaken? You ever been hung out to dry? These were his friends. Has anybody ever failed you? Anybody ever failed you? Anybody ever let you down? Absolutely. Um, do you realize that these are the men Paul invested his life in? He led many of them to Christ. They owe their salvation humanly to Paul's sacrificial ministry. Obviously, it's Christ that saved them, but Paul was the messenger of that gospel. And they abandon him in the time when he needs them the most. There, there's nobody there to give a moral character reference for him. There's nobody there just to say, we're, we're here, Paul, we're praying, to stand there and watch everything and quietly under the breath, God help him, God give him an answer. They're just gone. It, it seems like fear overruled their faith. By the way, I'm, I'm not trying to tear them down because I have no idea how I would have reacted if I were Luke or Tychicus or Titus or I have no idea if I would have walked in to that dangerous courtroom with Nero on the throne, the Praetorian guards surrounding him in a pagan culture, I have no idea if I'd have been there either. When people let us down, and they are going to, that's when we find out who we're trusting in for strength. That's when it's revealed. We live in a victim culture. If you can find someone to blame your unhappiness on, you no longer have to do right. You can loot and steal and plunder if you want to because you found a way to say, I am a victim. You can have any kind of bad attitude that you want. You can defy authority if you want, as long as you can find someone Who's the reason? You can backslide even in Christianity. Well, I'd be a, a better Christian if it wasn't for my home, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that. And, and, and we got that whole list and, and, and we're disobeying God and our attitude stinks to the high heavens. But we're, we're content in all of that because we, we've just decided I have a reason. Somebody let me down. Somebody disappointed me or somebody did me wrong. You understand Paul's in that position. He could have just looked at Nero and said, never mind. You tell me who to worship and I'll worship him and I'll be the biggest proponent of whoever your favorite god or goddess is today. If that's the way people are going to thank me, if that's the way people are going to be, then I'm all done. He could have done it. But he didn't. He said, all men forsook me. All. He goes on. I pray God that he will beat the living daylights out of them. No, see, that's what we do when somebody disappoints or fails us. 
He says, I pray God it may not be laid to their charge. That sounds just like Stephen when he's being stoned, praying for the very people that stoned him. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But notice what he says next. You might want to underline this in your Bible. Notwithstanding. Didn't matter what other people did or said or didn't do or didn't say. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and did what? And strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. He said, I didn't fall back on, hey, I'm a victim. These people did me wrong and, and I invested in them and they turned away from me and I just can't even. He said, I, I, I just looked over there and there was the Lord. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Listen very careful. When I'm running around, when we're running around and we're pointing the finger at all the reasons we have to be backslidden. And all the reasons we have to have a bad attitude. And all the reasons we have to be defiant. And all the reasons we have to break the rules. And all the reasons that we have to have a bad spirit. What we are actually biblically stating is, I am not trusting in the Lord to be my strength. My strength was in you. My strength was all dependent on how everybody else around me treated uh, me. Uh, my, my, my happiness and my joy is dependent on who's in the White House. Uh, my, my, my happiness is dependent on am I healthy and, and do I have money in the bank rather than my strength. Strength is in the Lord. Paul stated just a simple fact. In my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. But I'm praying God not to hold that against them. He knew the pressure they were under. He knew they were human, and he knew that humans fail. He said, but let me just tell you something. I didn't really need them because I had the Lord, and the Lord strengthened me. We're, we're so out of time here this morning. I actually had one more point to the sermon. Yeah. Three people want me to preach. The rest are looking at your reservation for lunch. I know how it goes. Um, please understand this. If you read the book of Philippians chapter one, Paul refers to this moment in his life. He said, but I would have you understand brethren that the things which have fallen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He said, in the palace of Nero, because the Lord strengthened me, I stood there. There were saved people that got encouraged to be a bold witness for Jesus because they saw the Lord strengthen me. There were lost people that got saved because they got to hear the gospel because the Lord strengthened me so that by me the preaching might be fully known unto the Gentiles. In Christ alone is my strength. Most of you know that Friday evening, I got to spend the evening in an emergency room. I knew going into it what was going to happen, but the doctors in Boston insisted that I go because of the chest pain to have it checked out. What you don't know is while I was in the emergency room, I started getting a series of texts from a, a, a person that works with hangar clinics throughout the state of Connecticut. It's a lady there, and she said, Tom, I'm reaching out to you. There's a young man at the Bone and Joint Center in Hartford, who just recently had an amputation, can you go see him tomorrow? I'm, I'm like this, I'm clutching my chest. Probably the worst day that I've had in a while. 
The hospital sent me home, didn't give me anything for pain. And as Friday night went on into Saturday morning, the pain was indescribable. I didn't fall asleep until 4.30. That was the last time I asked Alexa what time it was. And he told me, I changed the voice. No woman's going to tell me when it's time to get up. <laughs> is that what misogyny is? I, I opened my eyes and it was daylight. And I said, Alexa, what time is it? And he said, it's 9.38 a.m. I was supposed to be at the hospital between 10 and 10.30 in Hartford. I was groggy. I'd hardly had much sleep at all. But I, as rapidly as I could, I got up and got myself ready. And to make an amputee visit, I have to wear shorts because they need to see the prosthesis and so forth. So I got myself ready, got in the car, plugged in the address, and, and made my way up there. And the whole way there, I, 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 was, I was just exhausted, tired, like fall over and sleep on the sidewalk, tired. I was hurting, clutching my chest and all of that, but I knew there was a young man in the hospital, he's 25 years of age, I would learn his story when I got there, that needed somebody to help him. So I just said, Lord, you gotta help me. I can't do this, I'm tired. I can't think straight, but I have to. I need wisdom. I, I just, just prayed for the 25 minute trip up to where I parked and went into the hospital and I sat down. I spent about an hour or more yesterday with this young man, Brandon. His wife came in, I got to meet her, Elena. Uh, she is a nurse and so forth. In May of this year, May 25th, uh, Brandon was on his motorcycle one night on his way home from work and a teenager driving a truck fell asleep and crossed the middle line of the highway and hit him. And the only thing that got damaged was his entire left leg. His femur has been reconstructed. He's got more surgeries to go on that. Uh, his tibia, the, the long bone below the knee was broken. His ankle was broken. His foot was crushed. This last Tuesday, they amputated his foot several inches above the ankle, just like my very first one. He was gonna go home yesterday morning. So I sat there and just talked to him and, and uh, eventually got to talk to his wife and he had a ton of questions and, and, and he had no time to prepare for this. It just happened. He hasn't been home in three months. Yesterday was the first time in three months he's seeing the inside of his home. The whole time I'm sitting there, I'm tired, I'm groggy. My, my chest is about to, it just feels like it's about to explode. My left arm is hurting, but the Lord put it away because there was a young man that needed some help. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I walked out of the hospital with Brandon's wife, Elena, she had all kinds of bags, three months worth of stuff that had accumulated in his room. And she was going to get it down to the car. She figured it'd be taking, she'd be taking two to three trips. So I said, look, I, I can help with that. Occupational therapy wanted to meet with him anyhow. So here's a guy with one leg grabbing trays and grabbing bags. And, and, and I'm walking down, just talking to his wife, trying to encourage her, helping her get everything stowed away in the car. And she turned and looked at me. She said, Thank you for taking the time. They had no idea that I was hurting, that they had no idea what Friday night was like. They didn't need to know. It had nothing to do with it. She said, I am going to make sure that Brandon calls you in two weeks because he's going to need to talk to you, and I want you to, I want you to just be a part of his life again. There's a wide-open door. 
When Paul got his thorn in the flesh, he said, most, most gladly, therefore, will I rather uh, glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Who and what are you trusting for your salvation today? How many can look at a time where you know, you know you got saved? Okay, God bless you. How many know that you're saved for eternity? You're not, you're not losing that ever. How many know that? Now, you need to build on that. You need to build on that. Don't raise your hand on this. Who's your strength? Are you only strong when everything's going well and everybody likes you and everybody's doing what you want them to do? Or are you strong no matter what because your strength is in Jesus Christ? The Lord is my strength and my song. That's what David said. Do we have that? In Christ alone. In Christ alone. Father, thank you for...